Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. You know, healthcare is dominating the headlines today, right? Aren't we all almost tired of it? Dominating our conversations, the pandemic. So I want to talk about heart disease today, because <laughs> we haven't heard enough about that. J.C. Ryle was a great theologian years ago, and he said, health is a good thing, but sickness is far better if it leads us to God. That might be one pretty good reason, by the way, why God is using COVID in dealing with the world, right? I mean, we see that we're sick, a lot of people are sick, and you need healing, so we cry out for healing from the great physician. But the crisis we're talking about, this disease that I'm talking about today, is way worse than that, than COVID. Most people don't know it, but they're sick with a terminal disease that can't be dealt with by masks, mandates, or vaccines, and that is heart disease, which is the single greatest killer of human beings on the face of the earth. And I don't mean the heart disease that first comes to your mind. I think of spiritual heart disease because it results in spiritual death. And spiritual death is eternal. And the symptom of that disease is sin. And if it's not healed, then judgment and hell is what lies ahead for the patient. And everybody gets infected with this disease, by the way, when they begin their life in the womb, when they're conceived. King David reminded us of that in the Old Testament. And the prescription is not given to us today in this text in healthcare language, but it comes from Jesus in agricultural language. That was more than meaningful for the people that he interacted with in his first coming, because the prescription of heart surgery comes today in a story about farming, actually. The parable of the soils. And we learned last time a parable is an earthly story, has a heavenly purpose. That was more than meaningful for these people he interacted with in the first century because they lived in a very agrarian culture and society. And Jesus is so good to us that he not only gives his disciples back then, including us today, he not only gives us this story, but he gives us the explanation of it, the exposition of it. He didn't have to do that. But he did, and in it, he reveals to us the kingdom secret of the soils. Join me just in a quick word of prayer again, Lord, as Jesus told the disciples when he told this story. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and may those that have ears to hear, they would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the last time you may remember, we got into the purpose of this parable. And we had to because the meaning of it was hidden to those that didn't have ears to hear it. It was a, minister, it was a mystery to them. And we found out they wouldn't get it because they couldn't get it. God, in a sovereign, judicial act, purposed that he would not let most hard-hearted, stiff-necked Jews at that time like so many different people we know today, hear and understand the message of the kingdom of heaven. 
And he did that because of an act in response to centuries of rebellion and disobedience from God's people to the point that rather than accept their promised Messiah and the gospel of grace and all the prophecies that pointed to it, they still chose to reject him. And by this time of this story, they're even plotting to kill him in this just his second year of his ministry. So the Lord here is standing in this makeshift pulpit. He's actually standing in a boat off the seashore of the sea, the Great Lake, the Sea of Galilee, where another huge crowd is around him. And he begins to preach and teach a series of parables. There's four of them in this chapter in Luke's gospel. And you can see in verse 9, the kind of the setup for that is, and he said, again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he tells them about this judicial hardening that took place that we talked about from verses 10 to 12, as per Isaiah's prophecy. And he begins now to unpack this amazing parable. And the elements of the story, again, are three. They are what? The sower, the seed, and the soils. And that's how we're going to break them down to better understand this incredible kingdom secret. So we're going to look at the sower and the seed starting in verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you not understand all the parables? That's a pretty direct blanket statement right there from the Lord in two rhetorical questions. He's saying, if you can't get this parable now, how are you going to get the rest of them? And there's three more that's going to follow in this chapter about the kingdom. We established that last time in kingdom communication. You have to have ears to hear. And Jesus is involved here in the training of the 12 as he's speaking as well. So he needs his disciples to understand his kingdom inside and out, how it works, his ministry, his message, so that they can write it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and then take it all over the world. In effect, verse 14, the sower sows the word, okay? Most of us haven't done a lot of sowing of seeds. We don't plant a lot of stuff anymore ourselves, but a sower sows or plants a seed in order for it to grow and produce something, right? Well, the Word of God, the gospel, is the seed being referred to again. And what's being planted is that so something would come to life. And that is a symbol of the new birth of a believer in Jesus Christ. We're talking salvation here. But someone called a sower has to sow or plant the seed. So we understand that. And why someone comes to life and gets saved from this parable. The Lord is teaching that the sower is whoever sows the word or preaches the word. Now that's me or our other elders in public, whether it be on a Sunday morning or in a, one of our community groups, or it's one of you, man, woman, young adult in a small group, one-on-one -on -one or with somebody else, because guess what? All Christians are sowers of the seed. This is how God saves people, folks. Jesus in the Great Commission commands disciples to make disciples. And it's not only a command, but I would say it's a privilege. Paul in Romans 10 writes, How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And notice the Lord said, Someone, someone through Paul, someone is preaching as meaning anyone can preach as in giving the gospel. He didn't specify a pastor there or a gifted evangelist. This is an imperative for someone, anyone in Christ to proclaim the truth. 
which is why you're going to notice the story mentions just one sower. And there's no particular description of the sower. Nothing outstanding about the sower. Doesn't have to be a professional. Doesn't have to be a great orator or a genius or an apologist of the faith like Josh McDowell or that you have to have a particular style or speech or a script. No. There was a golden-throated preacher, he was called, in the second century. John Chrysostom, he was known as one of the most captivating preachers of the early church. And he recognized this, that even great preachers can't make everyone listen. He said, quote, my preaching is addressed to all, but it is the duty of each one of my listeners to take what is suited for his affliction. I don't know who are sick or who are healthy. Therefore, I discuss subjects of every sort and suited to every illness, end quote. And that's appropriate, what he said. The parable of the sower and the soil teaches the importance, the big deal is how we respond to hearing the word of God. It tells us that the success, the failure of a crop isn't necessarily in the skill of the farmer or the sower of the seed, or the but it's all about the quality of the soil, the dirt. So you can take five to give five, like we've talked about here, or you could give the way of the master or the three crowns, two ways to live, whatever one works for you, is comfortable for you, but the idea is just put the seed in the ground. Plow that field. When we talk about plowing the field, getting it ready to sow the seed, today we call that pre-evangelism. It means you love somebody, serve them, Pray for them that they would be receptible, receptive to receiving the seed in their soil. You're earning the right to speak somebody's, into somebody's life. And that's why we talk about show, showing then sharing Christ oftentimes. Then you can sow the seed. Seed, of course, is the word of God. So you've got to have the gospel in there. You've got to talk Christ. You've got to talk salvation. That's why I personally believe in quoting the scripture when you do sow the seed, when you share your faith, right? I'm going to give you two reasons why. Number one is spiritual, and the second reason is practical, why you would go to the Scripture to sow seed. Number one is the spiritual. Very basically, the Word gives life. The words themselves. The Holy Spirit empowers the Word that is communicated to regenerate a person. To regenerate means to give life where... There was just death. Peter's language, it means to cause to be born again. For instance, David said in Psalm 19, in the very beginning of verse 7, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, listen, reviving the soul. The law, hearing, saying, reading, the law revives the soul, brings it alive. Middle of verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The eyes are lightened, brightened by the word itself. Paul also wrote, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So think about a normal, ordinary seed. I was going to bring you one today. I forgot. You know, you can get them in the nursery in those little pouches. And if you have a little seed in your pocket or in the pouch and you take it out, you look at it, it's like a raisin or something. It's like this inanimate object, right? When you hold it, it's lifeless. It doesn't do anything by itself. But if you plant or sow the seed in the ground, what can happen? 
it can come to life. It can sprout. It can produce some kind of fruit. Agriculturally, there's a word for it. The analogy we're talking about here is germination. Remember studying that way back in biology in school? Right? When a seed is sown into the ground, you feed it water, and it gets light and oxygen and some time, poof, miraculously, something comes up from the ground, and there's life where there was no life before. And it's interesting, botanists, they study biology, they study plant life. They can't even explain the ultimate source of germination. They don't know where this starts, where it comes from. They'll talk about the process of how one step leads to the next, but they don't know how it starts. Why? You know why? It's supernatural. Natural science can't explain the supernatural by definition. The Word with the Spirit going into a person is what can give life to a sinner where there was no life before. 1 Peter chapter 1. You can mark that in your Bibles as a parallel on this. Verse 23, it's at the end of the chapter. Peter writes, since you've been born again, listen to the language, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is a seed that cannot perish. For all flesh is like grass, its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. Here it is. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. You see, even though there's only one seed in this parable, this one seed is the power of God unto salvation. It gives life. It never dies. Whereas regular earthly seeds can die. Until you put them in the ground, they are dead in your hand. That's the contrast in this analogy. I told you there's a spiritual reason and a practical reason to quote Scripture, sowing the seed. Here's the practical. Big reason why we emphasize this is because you can take comfort and you can take courage, confidence, in the fact that the onus of this growth is on the Word of God and the soil to produce the fruit. It's not you. The Word does the heavy lifting when it's empowered by the soil. If you give it, remember, if you give the soil, you're saying basically, thus says the Lord. So again, as we talk about here, the authority is on the Word of God. That is an authority you don't have. I don't have. And if someone doesn't like your gospel preaching, as we said last time, don't feel bad. They didn't like the gospel preaching of someone named Jesus 2,000 years ago. Why do you think you're going to be a better preacher than Jesus? Right? They didn't like what he said. They didn't like his message. A good amount of people are not going to like yours. That doesn't mean you got it wrong or what you're saying is wrong. It means you got some bad soil there. It's on God. And whoever has a problem with the Lord and his word, folks, they have to deal with him directly. Everybody has just a role to play. Remember, God wrote the mail. We just deliver it if we're being faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to see something in a very familiar text. Apostle Paul, talking in this very familiar language that you see in the first century, and you've seen this before, but it's, it's so good for this text. Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, and here it is, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, 
but only God who gives the growth. Again, that is the sovereignty of God in salvation. He must change the heart. He must give life to where there was no life before. This is why I've often told you, I don't worry when I preach the gospel or evangelize to someone as long as it's gospel-centered and Bible-grounded. Because I got the seed that people need, and my responsibility is just to sow the seed as best as I can, be faithful to that, and then wait on him to prepare the soil and gather the increase. The pressure's off. I don't have any pressure in preaching the gospel or witnessing to someone because I've just learned over the years what to say once I say it. If we say in Spanish, yeah, sacao. Because he's got it. It's up to him as to what's going to transpire. Now, is there some room for some fertilizer or plant food? Right? Sure there is. You sow the, the seed, you water it, you feed it, phone calls, email, maybe texting, follow up a little bit. You give somebody books, articles to read or a podcast to listen to or a video to watch. That's all good in supplementing the word or maybe breaking the ice with somebody. What's bad, though, is this, is when you sow the seed and it doesn't take. I know that could be frustrating. You want to ask, why not? I mean, you're a faithful sower. You have the spirit. You have the seed. Shouldn't that be enough? Well, the Lord answers that question with the parable of the soil. You have just the sower. You have the seed. But here's the key. You have four different kinds of soil. You got three bad ones and one good one. And that means the soil is the definitive or the decisive part of the story. Jesus told us. In fact, Jesus also told us, for out of the heart, so you get the connection, spiritual heart disease, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander, just to name a few. The heart of the matter, folks, is the heart. It's all about the soil in this analogy. Because at the end of the day, as we're reminded here, your soil, your heart condition determines whether or not you will accept the seed. It's not the evidence, the power of your arguments, however useful that could be. You put the pebble in the shoe. You got them thinking, good. We talked about that last time, but it's ultimately it's their heart condition. So we're going to look at the four soils now in verses 15 to 20. In fact, just to kind of set it up in the way that Jesus described it in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, he put it this way. Luke chapter 6 just came to mind, verses 43 and 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear bad, bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. And here's the contrast he puts together. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Figs are good to eat. They're sweet, right? You ever have a fig newton? Amen? Right? You can't get a fig newton from weeds, can you? Nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. In other words, the Lord is good enough in this story to just make it very simple in this farming analogy of consistency. And so we get description of these four kinds of soil, so we better understand why we get the results that we do when we cast the seed. And again, out of the four, only one lives and produces fruit. 
What does that tell us? Now, this is going to be very difficult to hear this part in a moment. Because if you take literally the numbers there of the soils, only 25% of people that hear the word are going to accept it, are going to believe it, right? One out of four, I can do that math. Three out of four won't. That's the majority. And remember what the Lord also said in his Sermon on the Mount version, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 that tie into this. This is a hard truth that we have to understand. We take comfort in it as believers, but we understand that as we go into the world. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. We don't know the exact number of the lost and found. But we can figure out this, folks. Many means many. Few means few. Most people that you know in your life are the many. They're going to hell. But remember, the purpose of this parable fulfills Isaiah's prophecy in picturing the judgment of God on ears that can't and won't hear. That's many, many people. Ears, heart, and soil are just symbols of the same thing in describing unbelievers, what Jesus in the last text called outsiders in this parable. They're going through the broad gate, and now we're going to get in detail as to why. Here are the four soils. The first one is about depth. Death and deception. In the text, if you look at verse 4, we're going to read the parable and then we'll go to the explanation in the chapter later. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the words and the birds came and devoured it. Now here's the explanation. It's in verse 15 where he says, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the seed's dead, and it just remained that way. Because a bird flew by and ate it. Guess who the bird is? It's Satan. He is, after all, the enemy, who is the father of lies. He seeks to kill and destroy. Some people, that's why some people lose the message of the gospel immediately after they hear it. You'll share it with them, or they read it. They hear it preached, and right then and there, they don't get it, or they don't care. Why? Because they don't have ears to hear. These are oftentimes like the hard-hearted people we love so much and make it so difficult for us to witness to. And Luke quotes the Lord even more directly than Mark does when he says, the devil comes and takes or snatches away the word from their heart so they will not believe and be saved. And that works different ways. The enemy gets people like this to argue about religion, Christianity, endlessly. They want nothing more than to debate you, or worse, they'll mock your faith, they'll mock Christ, prideful in their sin. A lot of them are going to be atheists, agnostics, evolutionists, very secular. They love their education. They love their own religion they've come up with. They love their own rebellion almost as much as they love themselves. 
You could say the scribes and the Pharisees were like this. Paul used the other analogy this way to make the same point, 1 Corinthians 4. The God, small g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So rather than ears, Paul goes to the eyes there. So you got to make no mistake, the devil, who is like that lion roaring around, prowling whom he can seek to devour, he wants to keep souls in his camp. So this is spiritual warfare. He blinds those that don't have eyes to see, and he subtly just does that. He deceives people, keeps them in false religion so that they think they've found God, God of their own making, because of the religious things they do, because he knows we intuitively want to worship something bigger than ourselves, and so he feeds their religious pride with a counterfeit God. So when, in fact, they're far from Christ is the real thing. Next soil is the rocky one. It's superficial. Back in the text in verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Now skip down to verse 16, the explanation. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Shallow faith is what we're talking about here. Superficial faith. Looks like the real deal on the surface until you dig down. And so, keeping with the agriculture here, the soil was shallow because a hidden rock of a bed, a bedrock was just below it. And so the problem was the seed would sprout up real quick, but it didn't grow down. No root system. So what this looks like, how does this look like today? Many examples. One would be the Word of Faith movement, right? They hear Jesus is going to make them happy, healthy, and wealthy, so where do I sign up? That sounds good, right? That's joy. I prayed the prayer. They receive the word initially with joy. And for others, it might be, look, I'm lonely. I get new friends in the church. Jesus will make my life better, maybe. That's going to bring some joy, some good feeling. So it's like being on a spiritual roller coaster. Things are good. When things are good, God is good. And when it's not so good, well, verse 17, they have no root. They endured for a little while. The tribulation, persecution comes on account of the gospel. And it says, not later, sometimes it is, but immediately they fall away. Another translation says, they don't have deep roots, so they don't last long. Trouble, problems, pain, and suffering will either drive you to God or away from God in bitterness or doubt. I've seen that a lot the last 18 months. In many cases... People will immediately or quickly fall away, which again is to be what? When you fall away, what do we call that person? An apostate, someone that defects from the faith. In Matthew, the Lord said, they remain only for a season. And in Luke, it reads, they believe for a while and in time of temptation, fall away. This is the person that professes faith in Christ, but they don't suffer well. They can't take the persecution that we're all going to have to face 
to a degree at some point in our walk. They try to live out their faith, but they struggle when the bad times come. You understand this when that, that persecution comes, when you try to share your faith today. How many have you received pushback from your family and your friends? They think you're an oddball, you're a Bible thumper, and all of that stuff. So it's not just the culture, it's not just the school, it's not just the workplace. The pushback is hard. So what happens is this kind of soil, they get tired of it. And they think to themselves, you know, I like Christianity in the beginning. Church was cool. It was working for me. But right now it's too hard. I'm out. I can't take it. It's too hard. That's this soil. Remember, suffering and whether or not a professing believer can endure will tell you often if you're the real or counterfeit thing. This is that great Reformation doctrine, the perseverance of the saints. In Luke 8's account of this, it says, But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and listen, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So real, real Christians, they'll make it to the finish line. We win the race, okay? In fact, in this past week's prayer meeting, we were talking about God using suffering to bring salvation, sanctification, right, of his own. And in the midst of that, you get to see who's who. Who's in the kingdom? Who's outside the kingdom? Remember what 1 John 2 says? They went out from us, but they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, meaning real disciples, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown they are not all of us. You see, that's why there's no such thing as ex-Christians. People who permanently walk from the faith were never in the faith to begin with. So now we go to thorns, which are divisive. Back in the text, verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, yielded no grain. Go to the explanation in the Lord in verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves un. What kind of soil is that? Well, it's obviously bad. There's no fruit because the thorns just crowd out or push out the grain. There's no room for both to coexist. That's the point. Because in the first soil, you had the seed of the word couldn't get in, just died. The second soil was the rocky one. The word couldn't really get down deep, couldn't take root. Now in this third one, the thorns are just pushing out life. And you have a divided heart. It's not a shallow heart. It's not a hard heart. It's a divided heart. And the Lord tells us in plain language that the wealth or the worries of this life, in another translation, or worldliness, will so choke the seed of the word it will divide it. In fact, the Greek word worries there, the worries of the world or cares, literally means to be pulled apart in two. Divided, split up. And that's what the enemy does as well. He cultivates thorns. He's good at that. And 1 John 2 makes this really simple for us. What does this look like? The cares of the world, deceitfulness, all of that. Lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Plain language, you want what that is? Money, sex, power. That's the big three that Satan uses. Always has, 
whole as well. When people hear the word, but they value themselves and their stuff, the culture, the world, and supposedly what it has to offer them more than Christ is their greatest treasure. If they think that way, they're going to go that way. They're going to go the world's way. Listen, I, I, we've said this before. You can't live with a foot in the world and a foot in the church. Try talking like that. Try walking like that. That's going to hurt. Won't it? You can't do it. You just can't be both. You can't be all things to all people. The kingdoms of God and man are incompatible. The Bible tells us that. James 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world, meaning the world, not the people per se, it means the philosophy, the worldview of the world and the culture. Friendship with the world is enmity. That means hatred. Is that hatred with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you love the world? Yes. Ask somebody. Do you love the world? Yes. You hate God. You're his enemy. Ultimately, that's what that means. You can't have both. Like the Lord also said in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I think. God made us actually to hunger, to desire him. To desire things, period. George sent an email out this morning that talked about that, that hunger and desire. And it is innate with us. But if you hunger for the flesh, the world, more than being with Jesus, you're going to have problems. So much so, you may get lost and never be found. At the end of the day, you've got to look at your fruit. Is there fruit from your root? Is it good? Or is it weeds or thorns? Fruit is always, we say here, a huge barometer of your faith. Question is, am I a Christian? How do I know? Give yourself a fruit inspection. Righteousness, is that in your life? How about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5? Is love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, is that a habitual mark of your life? Not your perfection, but your direction. Are you moving there? Is that a habitual part of your walk? That's fruit. The love test, right? What do I love most? Who do I love more? How much do I love God and love people? Loving the church and others means doing service, ministry, sowing seeds. James wrote that faith without works is what? Dead. Means of no use. It's an empty faith. It's worthless and fruitless. False faith. So now we're going to get to the only one of the four soils that's any good. Good soil, the fruitful soil. Back in our text, verse 8 of the parable, and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And then the Lord bookends that in verse 20 in his explanation. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold. This is the soil that accepts, receives the seed, goes down deep, takes root, new life, springs up. We can see it. Good root, good fruit. So this verse is symbolizing 
the believer, the real born-again disciple of Jesus Christ who's repented of their sin, believed by faith alone in Christ alone, his word and his gospel for salvation because good soil produces a good crop. You have fruitful soil, okay? That's what you want to be. That's what our Father wants to see in heaven. I mean, don't you want to produce 30, 60, or 100 times more fruit than what was first planted? That's like 3,000%, 6,000%, 10,000%. It's a lot of fruit. It's a big number. So when the Lord returns at the Bema seat of rewards, you're going to hear those kind of words, these kind of words from Jesus if you produce fruit that says, well done, good and faithful servant. To be faithful, folks, is always to be fruitful, whether you see it immediately or not. And on the reverse side, in John 15, the vine and the branches, the Lord said that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. That's discipline. Shaves it, cuts it, trims it to make it what? Even more fruitful. That's what we're here for. That's why God saved us. Heaven is not a fire insurance policy from hell. That's not what it's about. It's to produce. Paul in Romans says we were raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. And then in Ephesians, it says you're saved by faith unto or to do good works. We talk about that in our love life ministry quite a bit. This is all over scripture. Church, you take care of your soil, your hearts, and if the soil is good, the seed's going to take root, and you should see growth. And by virtue of the fact, by the way, there's three levels of good fruit production in the parable. There's more than one level of discipleship. Right now, we have some 30-fold disciples. We have some at 60. We may have some at 100, right? Because the good soil is new life. should produce. Talking about true disciples here. And that's why, by the way, our church's discipleship, our paradigm, our process looks a lot like this. Because at Christ Community Church, we say that we are to make, mature, and multiply disciples, and a disciple becomes three things. Christ conscious, Christ committed, and Christ contagious. Contagious in a good way. That's a three-part pattern of growth. 30, 60, 100. That you're bearing fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you say, well, you know, I'm a thorny Christian. I don't know right now. Well, you know what you got to do? I have a lot of practice in this in my yard. Pull the weeds. You have to mature in order to multiply. You can't be stagnant. That's why the church is described by some as an organism, a cell. It has to reproduce. It has to be moving. And how do you do that? Church, you know how to do that. You go back to the basics of, your, of the faith. You confess your sin. That's your thorns and the weeds in your life. You rip them out. You repent, which means you get back to the means of grace because those that hear the word will keep it. They obey it. So you have to strive to be Christ conscious, Christ committed, and Christ contagious. That was how you were made, and that's how it is to mature and multiply. Amen? Let me close with a little story. This popular preacher told about ministering at a family conference, and there was a young couple there with several small children, 
and they had some serious problems in their marriage. And as the week progressed, the pastor watched this couple change. They kind of sat under the teaching of God's Word, and the husband was hanging on every word. The wife had her Bible open. She's taking notes, following carefully passage to passage. On the last day, they both came up to the preacher and said, we want you to know this week there's been a 180-degree turn around experience for us. When we came, we were ready to separate. Now we're going back stronger than we ever have been in our marriage. That's tremendous. But the sad thing is, the preacher said, is that at the same conference with the same speakers, the same truths, the same surroundings, if this is sounding like our story, same thing, but another man was turned off. He wasn't open to God's word. says he attended the first few sessions, but his guilt became so great, his conviction so deep, he left early and went home. His family left hurting, perhaps even more so than when they came. What was the difference between those two men, folks, at the same conference? Only one thing, the condition of their soil, their heart. One took it in, one rejected it. Same words, same speaker, same sower, same seed, different kinds of soil. So hearing God's word is dangerous because it what you do with it is so critical to your soil. So our challenge is be greedy for the word. Be hungry for it. Go after it. Grab it. Hold it when you got it. Don't let it go like a starving beggar who found some bread. Grab onto it with all your might. Cherish it for the life-sustaining food that it is. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you will give us ears to hear, eyes to listen. Open the eyes and ears of our heart that we would see and hear the great truths that are in here and pray to the Holy Spirit for help in the application of them. If we see weeds in our life as Christian, let's pull them, Lord God. You want us, as the one good soil in the story, to bear fruit. It's all about fruit bearing. Some 30, some 60, some 100. What we'd love to see is those bearing 30 move to 60 and then 100. May you, Holy Spirit, impress upon their hearts the way to do that. What you would have them to do to go next level, now that they've been made as a disciple, to mature and multiply as one. And Lord, for someone who has been up to now, up to this moment, rejecting the word as one of those three bad soils for whatever reason that would be, the cares of the world, deceitfulness, riches, evil desires, disinterest, apathy. May that change today, Lord. Do the work that only you as the husbandman of our souls can do, that you would change that heart of stone into flesh. Make it come alive, Lord. And that someone today, as a result of that, of having soil that now springs that seed to life, they would confess Jesus as Lord and repent. They would believe that he has been raised from the dead so that they would be saved and their sins forgiven. Let that happen today. May we hear about that and help someone who wants to move in that direction, Lord, and commit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 
Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.com.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage. 